Thank you for tuning in to the Drug Science Podcast. Just before we start, I have a very special announcement to make. On the 14th of July, Drug Science will be officially launching the Medical Psychedelics Working Group. This group will be comprised of drug science experts, academics, policy specialists and industry partners. To celebrate this launch, we'll be hosting a free online event open to the public. We'll be exploring how medical psychedelics could and should be integrated into Western psychiatry. To find out more and secure your tickets for this event, please click the link in the show notes below. Hello and welcome to the Drug Science Podcast with me, David Nutt. Here we're bringing together experts and activists for a rational, honest and informed conversation about drugs. A Fascinate Productions podcast for drug science. Hello, I'm David Nutt and welcome to this third podcast in our series relating to veterans, PTSD and the value of psychedelics. Today I'm talking to the producer of the remarkable film From Shock to Awe, which studies the path of two veterans in America from being very traumatised and getting inadequate treatment from conventional medicine through healing with ayahuasca. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome, Mitch. Please tell the listeners about yourself and how you got interested in this Topic of psychedelics, please. First of all, thanks for having me. I really admire your work and appreciate what you guys are up to. So thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. And I guess I became interested in psychedelics at a pretty young age. I frivolously started using psychedelics at about 14. And it wasn't in a therapeutic context at all. In fact, it was pretty reckless. And in many ways, I was trying to escape a lot of things that had been going on in my own life. What I did get in the, some of those early experiences was a glimpse at an experience that was beyond me. And that was the biggest, I think, takeaway that there was a broader perspective of myself, my being even. I kind of frivolously played around with psychedelics and other substances. I guess it was in my early 20s, just kind of left all that behind. It wasn't until my late 20s and early 30s when I had my first DMT experience that I was completely unaware of, first of all, what DMT was. But then it was, I think, the aftermath of that experience that really challenged everything I knew about myself, about my reality, about spirit, about everything. And it took me almost four years already to re-piece my life back together in a way that I thought I had some semblance of who I was and what reality was. That reintroduction really showed me that there was going to be something more to it than just getting high. Um, and I discovered the therapeutic aspects and started doing the, the heavier research and working with psychedelics in that way. Were you a subject in the Strassman trial then? I was not, no. Uh, my my experience happened right before my last year of graduate school in New York City. Some friends of mine were getting together in a small group and um, invited me to come over and didn't tell me what we were going to do. <laughs> and once I got there, I found out very quickly what we were going to do and uh, also just again, had my reality shattered at that point. That was pure DMT, not ayahuasca then? That's correct, pure DMT. So then you had this experience. What were you doing at graduate school? Well, it's called the Interactive Telecommunications Program at NYU. And it's a combination of just looking at how we can use technology and get away from the keyboard and the mouse as an interactive tool, but also used for development of helping humans in general. So it was a kind of a combination of media, learning how to code, using sound, any number of different ways to interact with the computer. So then 
then you go off and see Strassman and say, we want to make a film, huh? <laughs> Who funds that? <laughs> I did. He said, yeah, you know, people have contacted me in the past. They said that they'd want to make a documentary and it never really goes anywhere. So I said, well, I'm extremely in- interested. I started putting things together and we chatted for about a year uh, before we decided to move forward. And uh, I went and met him in person January of 2007. And uh, after we had that meeting, uh, we came back, I think about two weeks later, and we started shooting. You know, we privately funded that. It took about five years from start to finish uh, to put that together. You were doing other work at the time, were you? I was. I, I was uh, I was working in the commercial production world. Uh-huh. Um, I was selling products, essentially, with my, with my degree in film. And it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. But uh, then once I came across Dr. Strassman's, I, I switched gears completely and went and started making uh, documentaries about psychedelics and transformation. How did From Shock to Awe emerge then? I was introduced to to Luke Cote and his producing partner, Janine. They had the idea to look for veterans to take on these experiences, somebody that had been struggling, and met them through a mutual contact uh, because of the DMT film. And we had a nice chat, and they said, we're going to keep moving along, and we'll contact you soon. And sure enough, they went off and shot and contacted me and said, hey, we've got something we want you to look at. And we started our collaboration at that point because I knew it was a very special film and and an interesting combination of what I would say is kind of, at least from my perspective, like middle America meeting the underground or at least kind of traditional culture meeting counterculture. Yeah, for those who haven't seen the film, and do you want to just tell the listeners of what it was about, please? The big question that we wanted to ask was, you know, how do we heal our deepest wounds? What Janine and Luke set out to do was find uh, some veterans and look at their struggles of trying to reintegrate back into quote unquote normal life um, after their war service. After a little bit of searching, we found Matt and Mike. They both happened to be living in the same area and just kind of fit the mold perfectly. Both had had multiple stints in Iraq and Afghanistan, had come back extremely traumatized from the work that they had done over there, and then found it extremely difficult to try to, to reintegrate back home, not only in just normal society, but even with their families. And this led to many different visits with different doctors. Um, at one point, Matt Call even explains he was on over 90 prescription medications over a four-year time period. Those of you who have not seen the film, he opens opens his medicine cabinet and it's like walking into a hospital pharmacy, isn't it? And none of them are really helping. Well, none of them did. And he even says in that, in that cut there that um, they almost killed him. Multiple times. So right. so the film is about, it follows the story of these two military vets and their families. And that's what's also very compelling. And I think they were very fortunate that they both had wives that were very supportive and not negative to the use of the illegal drug. But it's about them going to, to get therapy in a... Well, I'm not sure what it was, actually. Was it actually a church in Florida? Can you explain a little bit more about yeah. about the facility? Because it didn't come across very clearly in the film. Yeah, so they, they have set it up as a church. And part of that is for legal reasons. And this is part of a uh, religious practice that has a lineage that goes back to South America. And they've traced that through. But they use ayahuasca as their sacrament, um, similar to the UDV or the Sante Daime, um, which are two different churches like that. They work out of Florida and... That's where they went to take their their first ayahuasca. And that session. is that is just be clear about that. That I didn't realize until I saw the film that that was legal in America. There is still a lot of gray area around that. The UDV has that privilege. Um, they went to the Supreme Court. The Santo Daime has done a little bit of that, and I don't think that they have it as clear cut. But that using the precedent from the UDV case. They have been able to so far survive and continue to do it, and they're very careful, as well as what they're doing down in Florida there that we've got. 
So explain to our listeners what, you know, what, what is the purpose of, well, actually explain to people what ayahuasca is and then why you might be using it to treat PTSD. So ayahuasca is a combination uh, traditionally from South America, but it's from two different plants. The main one is the vine, which has the MOAI, which is the inhibitor that allows the DMT that comes from the second plant to not be broken down in the body. You know, it could take up to 8, 12, sometimes 24 hours to cook down this brew. But it's amazing that Native people in that area, 80 to 100,000 different plant varietals, they decide, they, they find out that these two come together. It's pretty amazing. It's a whole nother story. <laughs> exactly. They say it was the gods told them, didn't they? That's right. The plants. The plants told them, combine these two. What these plants do, the DMT is the visionary aspect. A lot of times what people refer to it, of, of, the, of the visions coming to you, whether those are entities, gods, spirits, any number of different ways that people look at it. And then the ayahuasca is really kind of the what I call the meat of the meal, if you will. It, it's the piece that kind of gets in and, and really works the body. Um, it is a purgative, so there is either expelling of all sorts of different things, either through purging or through diarrhea, mainly. Yeah, you see plenty of vomiting in the film. <laughs> yes, you do. We, <laughs> we didn't want to leave that part out. We want people to be very well. <laughs> but what they have seen, you know, it's harder, I think, and, and you could probably talk a little more to this, but being able to study this is a hard thing to do in the mm -hmm. scientific community because you have, these are coming from plants. And so to be able to set your standards and your base level, it's, it's extremely difficult, but roughly over the last 20 years, ayahuasca has spread itself around the world, and we're seeing ceremonies held more or less on almost every continent, you know, except for the obvious ones. But um, yes. but any time in America, and I think even across the UK and Europe in general, you could probably say that there is a ceremony going on almost every night of the week, which is fascinating. It is, and I think it's testimony to two things. One is, of course, it is, you know, if you've got thousands of years of use in the Amazon Basin, you're pretty sure it's safe. But also, of course, it's more and more people are getting the understanding that it's effective. And as your film showed, I mean, the effects were really quite remarkable. So talk us through that, what, what, what the, the two men saw and how they responded. In a general sense, um, it, it's a good interrupter of what your normal thought process is. And if you're if have fallen into this kind of circular trap of feeling down, being depressed, suicidal, any number of different outcomes, all of a sudden there's this experience that just interrupts that thought process. And, and more than anything, I think that interruption can, can at least give people a sense of, hey, I have an opportunity to do something with where I am now. For Matt and Mike, you know, it, they did multiple sessions over a weekend. Usually it takes several sessions to kind of really kind of get down to what is going on. Mike, I think, felt the immediacy of it almost from his first experience and really had a, a change very quickly. I think Matt, it took him a little bit longer and took him, I think, three or four sessions that first time to get that break. And they both came back after those initial ayahuasca experiences and they were i think almost very zealous in their approach to get back to their family you, you made it seem very simple but sure <laughs> it's not <laughs> i mean firstly how did they even know about this i mean how did anyone begin to engage in this how, how did, is there a, a support group or something there is a lot of different places around there's a lot of different places that are even online that talk about using these these substances i think matt and mike's journey it started with pharmaceutical 
illegals. But then their next step, because neither one of these gentlemen had even been exposed really to illegal drugs, but they both live in Colorado and then they found cannabis. Cannabis uh -huh. was the first introduction to some sort of a healing or way to get off some of the pharmaceuticals and at least deal with day-to-day -day stuff. And cannabis gave them that break. But then there was a point where even the cannabis wasn't quite doing it. It only kind of was just covering things up and didn't quite get them there. And the director starts talking with Matt and Mike in the film and discussing with them, why is the cannabis not working anymore? And then they both kind of get to a place of, well, I'm not moving forward anymore. I'm starting to revert back to a lot of my tendencies of being extremely depressed and even suicidal. And I said, my last chance here is to go look at ayahuasca, which is what Janine and Luke brought to them. The other producer and the director said, we want to take you on this experience. I'm interested in the process of getting together. So you've got you know, traumatized veterans in Colorado and you've got film producers like you. How'd you get together? So Luke and Janine, one of the producers and the director, they had done a lot of the research and they had found this location down in Florida after doing some research because they didn't want to leave the country. They wanted to be able to do it in, in the U.S. So after a little bit of chat back and forth with the gentleman that runs that location there, they threw out to Matt and Mike that we will fly you down to Florida to get you in to have these experiences. And again, they were both kind of at that point of like, I'm, I'm at my wits end at this point. I can't go any further. And this is, if this doesn't doesn't work, I'm done. Oh, so this was a kind of organic film, that the film started off being a film about veterans and then it turned into a film about veterans being cured on ayahuasca. Luke and Janine knew originally that they wanted to take veterans to try ayahuasca. It wasn't just a matter of like how that was going to happen and where that was going to go, but it was. There, there was definitely a grassroots approach and after doing that research, they found, found that location. And then Matt and Mike were open to the idea. Again, it was not easy. <laughs> no, but the effects were remarkable. There are several things to say about the film. I mean, what, the first is, it's a very powerful description of what PTSD is. I mean, you've got two men that they look normal, you know, it looks like their life is fine, but their brains are tortured and they're tortured for years as a result of the experiences in the, in the war. So, so that's the first really powerful part of the film, communicating what it's like to be a vet with PTSD. Well, and just watching Mike in the film, he's literally driving from his home to go to a university. And the strain and the struggle and eyes constantly shifting and his tension going up, you can see him, just him driving his car, a simple task that most people would get in and do on a regular basis. He has an extremely difficult time even making it to, to school from his home. Yeah, and he describes that as he's behaving as he would have behaved in, in Iraq, assuming everyone is an enemy, everyone might be trying to blow you up or kill you, you know, you're perpetually on edge. And then he goes to college, he can't think at all. So it's a brilliant truth-telling documentary of the nature of PTSD and how the personality changes. So you, it's very difficult for the families. Well, it's a big risk to go and, and use a, a kind of illegal drug and a, a powerful drug in, a, in another setting. And it transforms them to the point, you know, they're, they're, they're really back to where they wanted to be. I always get this image of, of Mike particularly, and both of them really, but at the end of that weekend, you can see Mike's face completely change in yes, demeanor. Yes. It's relaxed. His jaw's not tense. Um, he's not kind of constantly looking around. It's, it's literally within three days that that happens. Just that one shot of him at the end of these sessions is... Yeah. It, it says a lot. And one of the other interesting things that, that Mike experienced in that first go-round, he was having a lot of energy or a lot of things getting caught up in his hand during his entire ayahuasca session. He didn't know what yes. it was and things were, he'd have to like shake it off almost. And then he realizes that, that was his firing hand. That, mm. was the, that was the trigger hand. And that was the thing that he realized he could not kill anymore. I mean, it, it just, 
It's powerful. It is powerful. Have you shown this to vets? Is it something that you're discovering that people are sympathetic with and desirous of? Yeah, it's been a challenge, I would say. I think, first of all, nobody likes to really come out and talk about their traumas. It's a, it's a hard thing to do, particularly veterans. I think there's a block there. However, when they're reaching wit's end almost and saying, I can't go forward with life, they are receptive to this. And there's a lot of different communities now that are starting to pop up and actually focus specifically on veterans. The Heroics Heart Group that uh, is helping veterans, and I think you guys are doing a show with them soon, yeah. to help veterans find different places to go to do this medicine. And it's not just, it's not just ayahuasca either. So Mike in the film, his wife is also a military vet, and she ends up doing MDMA to heal her PTSD. That is, a rem again, a remarkable story of, of the commitment of people in terms of going to war. So there she is. She actually decides to go and fight when her child is four months yeah. old. She, she puts the sort of the country above her child in a, in a way which military yeah, people right. often do and, and suffers herself enormously as a result. And then seeing the benefit in her husband, she, she looks for therapy herself because she realizes she, she hasn't been normal right. either. And then she goes for MDMA therapy, which again, I suppose, is also illegal. In it is. We're very hopeful that that's going to be changing in the very near future. The FDA and DEA have given it uh, MDMA particularly, um, kind of a fast track after these phase three trials that MAPS has been working on. But we'll see. We're hoping that that happens next year, but nothing's ever safe. But you can't really deny the outcome once you see somebody go through this process in, in a proper setting. I mean, are you showing the film to uh, Oh, to we are. We're trying to get it in front of everybody. We're showing it to people in the military. We're trying to get it into Congress. Of course, we've got so many other things that are fueling our politics right now, and even the rest of the world for that matter, that I unfortunately, yes, I think yes, that this... Yes tends to be on the lower rung of importance, which is too bad. We'll get back to the interview in just a second. I just want to thank all the drug science community members for your continued support. Without you, the dissemination of information like this would not be possible. Drug science is, and always will be, independent. This means we don't accept sponsorships. But by becoming a drug science community member, you'll be helping us bring about change. You'll also receive access to exclusive events and will be able to attend all drug science events for free. To see how to become a community member, click on the link in the show notes. Now, where were we? Let's get back to the show. Well, what I'm trying to do, and what drug science is trying to do, is we, we think COVID will lead to a lot more PTSD. Yeah. There will be PTSD in the healthcare staff who see the, the, themselves not properly prepared and not properly supported in their delivering treatments. And I'm sure we'll see it in people who face near-death experiences from Absolutely. COVID. So I think PTSD is going to rise. And I think this is why your film is so powerful, because it shows a strategy that I think government should be employing to try to treat lots of people. We should be making it available rather than people having to hunt right, it down. Right, because then there's some issues around that too, right? Um, just the legality of it, but then also people not getting always the proper treatment, right? And also the cost. I mean, you know, it's presumably it's not covered by healthcare. That's right. I mean, my view would be that, you know, if based on your film, and also, of course, we've talked, my own group and others have talked to, to vets, um, people, you know, people are healing themselves, which seems a bit harsh given the fact that they put their lives on the line for their country and the country kind of now disowns right. them. And one of the saddest things I found about your film was at the, at the end, two vets were talking with the families and they were saying, you know, we were able to do this because we're not government employees. We could take the risk of breaking the law to heal ourselves. Whereas if we had been government employees or state employees and we had done this and it had come out, we would have lost our careers. Right. And they were, Insurance. And they were saying, you know, and, and the, yeah, everything goes. 
they were crying actually speaking about this because they're up they know people who would who would unquestionably benefit from this who can't do it and may have killed themselves because they couldn't do it because the state won't let them it just seems well so cruel. and then there's the other piece to me and you're right um they did know people that had lost their lives because they couldn't go find their own treatment and i would think that the government and the health industry and everything wants a healthy population. And mm. if we can help people get better, because there's not just trauma from from war veterans, there is trauma all over our society, around the world of people that have had horrific things happen to them. And if we could start to heal these people, what difference that's going to make? That's going to make for people that are going to be happier, healthier, that can contribute to the economy, that can do many things that are what we all would like to aspire to in our society, where we don't have crime, where we don't have as much horrific death and just any number of things that makes for a sound and peaceful and as much as we can society yeah absolutely and i mean again looking at the family you know like the alienation from his older boy because he couldn't relate to him because he kept remembering the kids that had been blown up in in iraq you know he couldn't re-engage with his son because it brought back too many horrible memories and that long-term impact on the family would have been horrible now it's resolved because he's resolved his ptsd so so when you when you're out there when you're promoting this cause what's the opposition what are are people saying you know these drugs are dangerous or these drugs are not proven what is the resistance Things have changed a lot since we released the spirit molecule. Uh, when I was first trying to raise money for that, for instance, there was still a lot of that bias in early 1960s, 70s kind of information and propaganda that was used to discredit psychedelics. So as soon as I would just raise the word psychedelics, this is a psychedelic documentary, people would run the other way. We don't want any mm. part of this, you know, because it's going to, quote unquote, make you go crazy or jump out a window and all the things mm-hmm. that we've heard that are not the case. But now things are changing. You're being very gentle. I'm being a little gentle, but I'm trying to also... I would say all the lies we've been well, told. Well, you're right. I would it say, is. I, I'm, I'm, you're right. All the lies we've been told. They, have, they were complete lies. And I think that's the other thing. I'm positive and I have a positive outlook because I'm seeing things are changing. So that was it's been about 10 years since we released the spirit molecule. And going mm-hmm. out and talking about these things now, people are at least open to it because I think they're also seeing that our systems, our policies are failing miserably. We're not able to help the people that need help. Mm. And people are saying, okay, enough's enough. <laughs> you know, If this is working and we're seeing it, then that's it. We're, we're going to go out and we're going to figure out a way to do this ourselves. And so I, I have seen a, a dramatic change, but there's still a lot of that early propaganda and those early lies that are still influencing policymakers in this country and, and around the world for that matter. So it's the work that you guys are doing and the research that is showing the, the big difference. Well, I think that's right. The fact we can make sense of it at a brain level as well as at a sort of experiential level, mm. that helps. Don't know. There are some people that want to know that there is a brain basis. They don't want it all to be just about spiritualism sure. or kind of harmony or whatever. Because these were vets, but they weren't being treated by the vet system. Is there any sympathy in, in veterinary healthcare for this? I know MAPS has done some early discussions, but one of my colleagues in Australia, who is also a vet, reminds me regularly, and I always like to bring this up, that the Pentagon or the military and even veterans groups afterwards, they're not necessarily in the business of helping people get better. They're in the business of war. Mm. 
And whatever that takes, that's essentially what their focus is going to be. So in some ways, I feel like there's this new Western movement now to start figuring this out on our own outside of the policymakers. And I don't quite know what that looks like yet. And I think we're still trying to figure a lot of that out. But I'm hopeful that it can happen. And I'm hopeful that as more and more people get healed outside the system, that we can start to point others in that direction to to help them as well. But it's so cynical for the military not to care about the consequences of war. But you're right. It we've is. seen it. We've seen it from the First World War. We've seen it, I think, after the American Civil War. We, You know, you, you fight and then, you know, if you're ill, you're discarded. But we've now got to this really weird situation, haven't we, where more American soldiers kill themselves than right. are killed, killed by the enemy. I mean, that is... Uh, that's got to make people take stock, hasn't it? You're right. And it gives me chills to even consider that. And when you start breaking down and some of the estimates of, say, you know, in America here, we have roughly 22 veterans a day that kill themselves. And those numbers are adding up so quickly that, um, that yeah, we have lost more people from suicide after their war service than we did in actual combat. And this has got to stop. This has got to end. There's just, there's no other, society cannot go forward um, over time, over an extended period of time at this rate. When those things start to show up like that, there's a big disconnect um, and people are going to have to start figuring it out on a higher level. So one of the interesting things about about your your film, obviously, it was vets, although one of the wives wasn't a vet. And and actually that non-vet wife in the end went off and had ayahuasca as well. That's a nice part about the film because she was not very convinced to begin with, was she? she? He wasn't sure he should do it, but she saw the change in him so much that I think she wanted to do it in the end. Yeah, Amy, Matt's wife, was a little skeptical about all this originally. And then, of course, when Matt came home after his first ayahuasca sessions, he had this zealous nature of like, I'm going to show you how to change. And that can be very common um, when people have these experiences they want to share. So, but she did find her own way. So it's very touching at many levels. But I was also particularly interested in your take on the idea of doing it as a group, particularly several Mm. vets doing it together, because it seems to me that that's probably better than doing it alone. But I don't know what you think about that. Well, I think with any of these medicines that have a therapeutic approach, I think it is key to be in a group and be with people that have worked through this stuff in the in prior taking this stuff on your own is not something I would recommend. I think that you need to find somebody that is a seasoned practitioner, knows the space, knows the medicine, and that can really work not just during the ceremony, work with you to to get through some of those tougher times, but also integrate the experiences afterwards. That's another big piece of this is that you can have these big experiences, but how do you take that and put that back into your daily life? Um, How do you go back and talk to friends and family about this? How do you go back and explain what you went through, and then also just understand it yourself. No, absolutely. I've been talking to British vets. They have to generally go to Spain to get these treatments. Mm-hmm. But what they've been doing has been going as a sort of platoon, yeah. you know, four or five or six of them together. And again, I think that it seems to me that that could be particularly effective because, you know, they've been traumatised together and they can heal together. I just wonder whether that that, that might be the optimal way of helping soldiers get better. Well, and it's, and it's such a tight-knit community. You go into service, into the military, and you know that your brothers and your sisters, your life depends on them and vice versa. And so that it creates a bond that I think is deeper than just friendship, you know, and I think what you're right, when you can go in and you can actually work with the same people that, you know, not always the exact same people that were in your platoon or within your group, but people that have gone through that type of trauma to heal together, I think, um, you feel safer when you're with people that you know have gone through that. As you know, we've been doing brain imaging of all sorts of psychedelics, mm-hmm. including DMT. We've also done a depression study and we're just finishing another one. And we've watched maps 
do this very impressive work using MDMA for PTSD. And I've sort of assumed that, and actually, to be honest, I was always a little bit concerned that ayahuasca or psychedelics might be too strong for PTSD. Mm. But you've shown it isn't. So thank you for that. Yeah. The question now is, of course, which is better? Chemically, they're very different. It's really important that people understand. Very they, different. They, and they, they're used in a different way in the therapy. Right. You know, and I think a lot of that's going to be dependent on the individual. Um, sometimes I think people feel like, you know, I don't want any part of ayahuasca. Uh, MDMA is a little bit softer. It's not going to have as many of the body things going on, but um, I think it's still quite a, quite an issue for individuals to say, hey, this is what I'm drawn to or this is what feels feels all right. But I think it can go either way. I think people can get healing from either one of those and, and others, but those two specifically. Yes, it raises the question of psilocybin. I think it's very likely the way ayahuasca is given in your documentary, etc., is very similar to the the, the, the three to four hour kind of experience is very similar to what we get with um, with psilocybin. Actually, quite different to the experience you got the first time you took DMT, yeah. <laughs> which I guess lasts about ten minutes. I mean, that's an interesting. Yeah. Do you think that short, sharp shock would? <laughs> would be as effective as a couple of ayahuasca trips? No, I think the ayahuasca is really, particularly for somebody that has heavy PTSD, I think is the is the better way to go. I've dealt with PTSD in my own life, personally. And uh-huh. yes, it was a profound experience to have just the DMT experience, but I've gotten much more out of my ayahuasca sessions than I ever did with just the DMT sessions. Um, there's more time to, to work with it during the actual experience and even create a narrative as opposed to just getting blasted off and you're just holding on. You know, it's just witnessing and then you come back yes, and you're like, oh yes, shit, yes. <laughs> what just happened? And there's there's nothing to contextualize what's going on during the experience. You know, I agree with you, but we, it's interesting. Of course, scientifically, people, the FDA, I think, have said, well, we're not even sure you need to think about the experience. You can even give the drug under anesthetic and see, and see whether it reset the brain. And I think, well... You're probably missing a bit of a trick there. Right, right, right. Insight might be useful. <laughs> it just shows that the, yeah. the mind frame of policymakers, they're afraid of the experience in some ways. Give it to somebody yes. while they're on an anesthetic. Are you kidding me? Like the whole point is, is just. Well, exactly. But I mean, you know, I mean, you can argue it scientifically, but I mean, ethically and morally, yeah. and experientially, it makes no sense at all. I mean, if people are having the ability to, to reconstruct their relationship with their trauma. Maybe you would sort it out under anesthesia, but you just wouldn't remember. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you wouldn't be better afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think the other piece that's really something to consider for people out there is that these traumatic experiences and PTSD, they're not just influencing the individual or their family, but this stuff is has an epigenetic aspect to it as well. So these things are getting passed down through generation after generation after generation on some level. And this is impacting how we're moving forward in our society. And if we don't start to work with some of these stuff now, we are going to have even bigger issues than we do now in the next generation or two. Absolutely. Could not disagree with you. So one of the things we're finding in our depression work is that maybe a third of people get well and stay well, but two-thirds get well, but then the depression kind of starts to gain control over their mind again. And we're wondering whether we should be giving sort of episodic 
uh, doses maybe twice a year or something. I mean, is your experience with vets that it comes back or can you really deal with it and be over and done with it? I think, again, it's all dependent on the individual, but I, I think there is a lot of evidence. And even Matt and Mike have talked about this. They have gone back and they've had struggles and they'll have some things that come up or they'll have a situation in life that can easily kind of re-trigger some of those past events. And so this isn't something that just disappears completely. This is not a magic bullet. And I don't mean any pun in that whatsoever, but sometimes it might take other sessions, but this is not something that you're doing on a regular basis and you're not having to take pharmaceuticals that you're taking every day and poisoning yourself with either. So yeah, if it's twice a year, I think that is a much better option than having to take pharmaceuticals and deal with things that way. Do you know of any research going on? I don't. Because I, I, I don't either. No, I can't. No, unfortunately. Right. And, and these are the things that are coming up because all this is still kind of new for a lot of people. So I think there's mm. some research that does have to be done. Well, I think if your film doesn't inspire that research, then we've wasted a great opportunity. So thank you for making it. You bet. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being on my podcast today. And uh, stay in touch, please. Absolutely. Thanks again. And I uh, appreciate all the work you guys are doing as well. Well, I'm sure like me, you found that podcast fascinating, but also very empowering and enlivening. If you haven't seen the film, From Shock to Awe, please do. It's remarkable, not just for the impact that this therapy has on people suffering from PTSD from the military, but also on their families and their children. It really should encourage everyone to challenge the policies we have now, which make it so difficult for people who need this kind of therapy to access it. Thank you for supporting us by listening to the podcast. Please follow me on Twitter, follow Drug Science on Twitter too, and ideally become a member of our community. Support us in a regular way so you can get access to Drug Science events, publications. Your support is critical. Without it, we couldn't be making such remarkable podcasts. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.